You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Church. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Let's jump in. Today we're going to wrap up today our uh, series on the Ten Commandments called Finding Freedom in God's Ten Commandments. And I hope you got some stuff out of these that I hope have, have been beneficial to you. I hope that you hear this from a relationship and not legalism. I hope you didn't hear... Uh, a heart of legalism, but I hope you hear a heart of worship and a heart of relationship because that's my that's my intent on this. And everybody that's shared in between, you know, with some of the messages here, I, I pray that you would hear it from all of us, the heart of relationship. This is not about a list of, wow, you know, do's and don'ts. Wow, God coming down with a judgment hammer like Thor or something. And that's not what this is about. This is about relationship. And God gave these Ten Commandments for relationship. He did not give them to be judgmental on people. He gave them for relationship. He really did. And so uh, just to cover briefly um, on this, but I'm not going to go into detail. You can go back and read all the ten. But the first four were all about relationships with God. And really, when you get to the fourth one on the Sabbath, the remember of the Sabbath, keep it holy, simply just means, I had different people ask me about this, but just simply means take six days for your work, six days to make your money, Six days to do whatever you do, answer your emails, build stuff, manufacture, whatever you do to provide. That's six days. you got six days to do all that. But the seventh day, that's the Lord's day. It doesn't mean it's his where you sit back and like, um, you know, that, it's not like that. Go fishing. Go look at the trees. Go read a book. Go ride a bike. I don't know, whatever you do, man. Like, I don't know what you do or what you like to do. But it doesn't mean just sit around the house and... Look at your Bible all day. Nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. But the, the point of taking a day, and it doesn't have to be on a Sunday because we have different schedules. It's not about a legalistic, legalism thing. It's a principle thing. Whatever day that you have that is sacred and sanctified is set apart for you to enjoy. The Sabbath wasn't made for God, but it was made for man. It's a gift to you. But that's the dividing point. If you really want to know the truth, the first three... Is all about relationship with God. We need that fourth one. It's about God and about man. Because if you have a Sabbath, you're more in tune with God and you're also more compassionate with people, right? If you're overworked, overextended, exhausted, beat down, you know, how many know you're a little, maybe you're not like me. I don't know. Maybe you're just angelic all week. I don't, but for me, when I'm tired, I get snappy, okay? I get irritable. I need some food. I need some, some carbohydrates. I need something, some orange juice or whatever to help me because if I'm tired and exhausted, I'm more snappy with people. I don't mean to be. It's just a default called flesh. Maybe you're angelic all week. You just flew, flew right in here this morning. You're going to fly right back out to your car, and we'll all just, well, praise the Lord. Aren't you just so sweet? For the rest of us in the room this morning, you need a moment, right? You need a break. But then they transition the fourth one. The rest, the other six, are all about relationship with the person sitting next to you this morning. They are not legalistic. And today we're going to wrap up with this last one on covetousness, all right? So I thought Haley did a fantastic, good job last week, right? Don't you think? <clears throat> yeah. And I had a great smoothie this morning. I just want you to know. Uh, <laughs> at like, you know, a little later. But I, I felt a little bit kind of like she, you know, this morning I had a nice little wake-up call too. 4.30 in the morning. Uh, my daughter, my oldest one, comes, you know, you know, I had a roommate with Pastor Victor uh, while he was in Dallas. And so he said, Pastor Jody, he said, you don't snore anymore. I was like, really? I was like, wow, that's pretty cool, man. He said, what you do different? I said, I don't know. I don't know. I get back home, 4.30 this morning. My oldest comes up, I'm asleep. I'm out, knocked out. She goes, hey, Dad. Yeah? It's 4.30 in the morning. 
What do you say to your kids? What? What's wrong? What is up? I hate to tell you, but you still snore. (laughs) You got me up at 4.30 to tell me that. Thank you. Go back to bed. I told her this morning, she says, "Uh uh-huh, I know how it feels. (laughs) That's what she said. I know how it feels. Be up at 4.30. So anyway, long story on that. I'm going to wrap it today with this on on covetousness. We're going to look at Exodus 20. Next week, I'm going to be over in Espanol campus with Pastor Victor, just hanging out with them some. But then the following week, we're going to start a new series on miracles. And I want to just kind of prep you for that now because I want you to be praying. So I don't know where you are. I don't know why the Lord would uh, exactly have me uh, do a series on this necessarily, but I'm going to do it. And uh, just trust his leading on this. I don't know where you're at, what you need. I'm not sure. Um, but miracles aren't just healing. Uh, there's various types of miracles in the Bible. So we're going to talk about these. So if there's something you need God to do in your life, man, just be praying right now. And starting not next week, the week after, we're going to start a series on that. And we're going to teach about and talk about uh, miracles. Not just teach about, we're going to ask God to do, um, to intervene on people's lives. So be in prayer about that, whatever you have need of there. So Exodus 20, verse 17, let's read this, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about covetousness this morning, because it's so enlightening. Exodus 20, verse 17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Now, before you ever get to the word adultery, bottom line, this is all relational. He's saying, don't covet this, don't covet that, right? Don't covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant. And I need to just stop right here just so you understand, this is not, please don't confuse American history with biblical history. They don't mix. Your culture does not fit in the Bible. I hate to tell you this, as Americans, we think, you know, everything revolves around us, but it doesn't. The Bible does not revolve around us. God bless our little hearts, you know. It doesn't revolve around you. Matter of fact, half of what you probably have heard, half of what I've preached in my lifetime, I've had to go back and go, that is not even what it means. Because Hebrew and Greek, and also the Aramaic culture, the Hebrew culture, and the times and places these were all written are different than your culture. And if you take American culture, which is only like a little over 200 years, really, that we actually have good history on, and maybe even that's a little tainted, but nonetheless, we don't have, our country's very young. You don't have a whole lot of history to go by. If you take your history and try to apply that to the Bible, you're going to be left disappointed because it doesn't fit. But you can take biblical history and apply it to your life, and it will fit. So in this case, this is not, in our culture, the barbaric uh, world of slavery that we have read about. That is not what this is talking about. When he says servants, he's not talking about male servants and what we experience. It's not kidnapping. This is not taking people from their country and making them your... That's not that at all. In their culture, it was very acceptable to say, you know what, I I have a debt. I will come and work for you for X amount of years to pay off my debts. That was very common. Jesus talked about this well. In the New Testament, it's talked about as well. But the thing about their culture is, after so many years, you would be released from that, whether it was paid off or not. There's very few places where, but you'll see this all throughout the Bible. I just want you to understand, this was not barbaric like what we know about in our culture. This was more like an employer-employee relationship. There were some people who took it to extreme, and they were wrong, and they were punished for it. In the Bible, it gave reasons for, you don't treat people like this. So don't read this and say, well, because people say today, well, the Bible approves of slavery. No, it does not. The Bible's very explicit about this. You should not kidnap. Very clear about this. So the Bible does not approve of slavery. It would not have approved of what happened in our country. The Bible does not approve of that. So if you ever hear somebody saying, well, the Bible approved it. No, it does not. 
God does not approve of kidnapping and putting people into cells and making them your prisoner and do what. That is not God. God is a God of mercy and grace and freedom for everybody, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. So just want to say that so you understand what, what he's saying. So you don't covet, though, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, servants, <clears throat> whether it be male or female, and you don't covet their ox or their donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, here, here's the thing. How many have heard this before, thou shalt not covet? You've heard this at some point in your life. Raise your hand. You've heard the words, thou shalt not covet. That's most everybody in the room. If you didn't, you probably saw it on the, you know, the Ten Commandments movie or something, with Moses or something like that, right? You know, we've, we've heard of it. And so all of my life, this is what I thought it meant. Thou shalt not covet. It even sounds more real when you say thou, because that's King James, right? Thou shalt not covet. It sounds real serious, you know. It just simply means you should not covet things. That's not exactly the right way to accept this sentence. Because, remember, the Ten Commandments are all about what? Relationship. Now, I'm going to prove this to you, but just hang in there for a moment. Does not say thou shalt not covet. That's what we do. We shorten it so it'll fit on our little things in the fridge. You know what I mean? We got a little ten, ten commandments. It's, they made them easy. Thou shalt not commit murder. There's not you know. It, we just cut them down, make it short, because that's what we do. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say thou shalt not covet, because that's easier. It says thou shalt not covet your neighbor's stuff. Now, I'm going to prove to you why he says this. Isn't it funny how you can drive down the road, pass by the Chevy dealership all day long. There's 20, 40, maybe 60 brand new Duramax diesels, 2,500 HD, baby, $90,000 trucks, and you'll drive by them every single week and not think a word about it. The moment your buddy rolled up this morning in one, now why are you laughing? All of a sudden, isn't it true, we say, well, now how did he afford that? I bet he's in debt in his eye. I bet he's got some money. He can't pay for that. Well, they can't afford that. I can't afford that. We do. Is it not true? Okay, don't like that one. Okay. Isn't it true, ladies? You're fine. You can go by the mall, see it online. Nice pair of shoes. Ladies got some good shoes online. Like, all oh, that's good. The moment sister comes in with them on. Can you believe she would pay 180 bucks for a pair of shoes? That's just wasteful. Oh, to give that to the Lord. That's just bad stewardship. Isn't it funny how you would never, you've seen it all day long. Your favorite little movie actor, you know, she wore them, everybody, they're just, you're fine with that. The moment a friend that you know gets one is when what happens? We start saying, that's not right. All right, now watch this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check every one of us right here because I've done the same thing. That is called covetousness. Because what you're really saying is, and me too, me too, okay? What we are really saying is, I'm fine with everybody else to have it. But the moment my friend gets one, it's not right. Because I don't have it. It's a heart, look, gut check, heart check, what do you call it today? All of us are probably going to have to like, oh, do I do that? Oh. And if you don't think you do, Somebody close to you this morning will probably tell you after church, you do that. <laughs> Just think about it. 
So what does it mean to covet? It means to desire greatly. That's what it means, to desire greatly. Based on Scripture, God does not mind you having a nice pair of shoes. There you go, Pastor Stephen. Now, now, why is the guy in the room answering that? I'll the ladies be like, amen, that's right, praise the Lord. If you knew Pastor Stephen, you'd understand why. That brother's got more shoes than you got, ladies, I promise you. He can match his shoes with his cologne. It's something else. And his watch. It's an amazing thing to see. But God doesn't mind you having stuff. Listen, guys, God doesn't mind you having a nice vehicle or a whatever, a boat or whatever you like. I don't know what you like. A bow and arrow is getting close to deer season or rifle or whatever. I know what you like, guys and gals, but listen, he does not mind you having things. He made the earth. Listen very carefully. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But he gave you the stewardship of the earth. He, why do you think people get so mad? Just take religion out of it for a moment. Why do you think people are so angry right now about the environment? Whether it's extreme or not, it doesn't matter. Just forget about all the, the, the things for a moment. But why are people... Because within their innate, creative side of them, they know... They are responsible for the earth. God gave you the earth to enjoy. That's why he also gave you a Sabbath so you could actually enjoy the creation that he made for you. I mean, how terrible is it to have a rifle and you had not been deer hunting in five years? You might as well just sell it then. How terrible is it to, to own something, a four-wheeler, and you don't even, last time you started it up, it's so, the tank's so dry, you're going to have to go replace the lines on it because you haven't even started it up in so long. What's the point in having it if you can't enjoy it? God is not a God that, contrary to what people believe, he's not sitting up in heaven going like, uh-huh, oh, you're having fun today? Well, you should have been witnessing the people. I'm marking that down. So when you get to judgment day one day, you know what? You could have witnessed on this day, that day. That's not what he's doing. God created the world for you to enjoy. Now watch this. There's nothing wrong with having a desire that's godly. But to, to covet something Simply means to desire greatly. It goes beyond a normal desire to have something to now I'm going to covet something I really can't have. And that's why he says, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Let me read to you out of this. Deuteronomy 5.21, this is the parallel verses of this. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 have where we get the Ten Commandments from. But just listen to this. Deuteronomy 5, verse 21. says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. It's just the same thing, but listen how he reads it here. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house his field, his male servant, his female servant, his tractor, or a Chevy, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Just bring it up to our day. They, you don't, I mean, nobody here I know is using an ox and a, and a donkey anymore. You didn't roll up in a donkey, did you? Well, look out there and see if you... No, we all came in vehicles. Don't covet your neighbor's things. Don't desire... Does, God didn't say you can't have one. He just said, hey, look, leave my brother and sisters out of it. If Gary's got a nice truck, fine. I'm going to high-five Gary. Praise the Lord, man. Wow. Where'd you get this from? How'd you do it? Man, I'm praying for something like this too, man. Hey, listen, I like that feature. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I look like, he shouldn't even bought that. That's just, that's just wasteful. That is a bad, first of all, attitude. It is covetous, and it is you really want to know the truth about it. It is, it is demonic. Because it is a doorway that opens up to 
anger and resentment to people. And, and actually, the person really upset with is God. Because God gave him one, didn't give me one. Because we're all Christians, isn't that what we say? Let's just be real. Come on, let's be real little Christians this morning. Come on, be real with me. Right? Don't we say things like, well, you know, the Lord just blessed me. I just, God just blessed me with this. Well, maybe God did bless you, but didn't you work for it as well? Well, yeah. So it's a partnership there. But we say as Christians, well, the Lord just blessed me. So by saying that, people who don't have one, they think, well, I wonder why God won't bless me with that. I worked just as hard as they did. You got to be careful what you say. Yes, the Lord has blessed you, but he blesses the fruit of your hands. See, we think sometimes in this stuff, you watch too much Christian TV, you get the idea that God's just going to send you something in the mailbox. I'm sorry, but a truck don't fit in the mailbox. Just think about it. For nothing wrong with God blessing you. God will send stuff. It does happen. It does happen. Now, I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying that your hands, though, God works with your hands more than we think. He's in partnership with you. And he does bless you, yes. But if we say all the time, God blessed me, and you didn't do anything with it, we give people the idea that, man, I'm just sitting on the couch. What's up? Enjoying life? Oh, man, look what God gave me. Just rolled up in the driveway. Oh, I'm getting blessed. Everywhere I turn, blessings just follow me everywhere. Okay. God wants to bless you. But he's going to use your mind. He may give you the idea. He's going to use your hands. He may use other people for a season. But here's what I found out. When you're young in the Lord, and when God, and if there's a miracle on stake, yeah, absolutely, yes, yes, yes. But most of the time, more often than not, God blesses you over a season of time of consistent, you work hard, you trust the Lord, and he opens up doors for you. That's typically the way. You know, if it's miracle to miracle to miracle to miracle, it's probably you're a young in the Lord. Let me tell you, when I first started serving the God, it happened all the time. Man, people give me money. I'd be like, come to church. What is that? What is this? I was also a college student. You know, once you go out and have some money, oh, that's great, man. Let's go eat some lunch. But you know what's funny? It's been a while since people come up to me. Now, don't, I'm saying that don't do this today. Please don't do this. <laughs> don't feel bad for me. I don't, don't, I got, my, we're fine. But I'm just saying, I, you always got to be careful what you say as a preacher. So, it's been a long time that somebody came to me and said, hey, I just want to give you $20 and go eat. I just want to give you, you know, that, that just doesn't happen as much anymore. Sometimes, yes, but you understand what I'm saying? God works in partnership with man to bless your family and you. It's not just coming down from heaven. It might occasionally, but God's method is working with you, all right? So he says, but don't desire your neighbor's house. Don't desire your neighbor's things. Doesn't mean you can't desire stuff. Just don't desire what doesn't belong to you. If this goes back, we want to think about the first sin in the Garden of Eden. We're going to read this from Genesis. This is the very first thing that happened with Adam and Eve. So I want to look at it. Genesis in chapter <clears throat> 3 and verse 6. And look, watch, what, watch this in the, in the scriptures. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that, it, watch this, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was... What? Desirable. But whose tree was it? H- whose tree was it? It was, it was God's tree. Now think about that for a moment. Did it belong to her or did it belong to Adam? No. That's God's tree. He said, you can have anything you want in this garden. Think about this for a moment. Isn't it true that God says the same kind of thing to us today? You know, you can marry anybody you want to marry. He gives you some parameters. says they ought to love Jesus. Don't get married with somebody that doesn't love Jesus. And don't think you're going to convert them because you won't. 
They need to be loving Jesus, all right? They're going to have a problem. But marry anybody you want to gives you some simple parameters. But listen, that one's yours. That one over there is not. You can get a truck. You want a truck? Go get your truck. If you can afford it, go get you a truck. Don't saddle yourself with huge amounts of debts where you're bombarded with pain and agony and anxiety, but get you a truck. But get your truck. Don't desire somebody else's truck. You can go get your house. If you can afford, go get any house you want. If you can afford it, go get anything. You hit truly a, a Zillow as many times you'll save whatever you like about it. Go get your little Chip and Joanna gang thing. Go get it. Go get it. Go get it. If you can afford it, but get yours. But don't drive by the neighborhood and mad because your buddy's got one. And he just put up a little swinging gate and his little drive. Well, he could have gave that to help missions. I can't believe they did that. Who do they think they are? Listen, that is covetousness. What does it matter if they put in 10 gates? What does it matter to you? You just drove by somebody else that's got a much bigger house and has got much better things. Why aren't you mad about them? Because you don't know them. I mean, athletes today are making 20-something. I don't know what our quarterback's making. They shouldn't have paid him that much, though. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, it stinks this year. 180-something million, 50 million. I done lost track, whatever. Nobody really cares that much about what he's driving around. Well, he shouldn't have been driving all that. No, no, it's when we know somebody. That's what bothers us. But if we don't know him, it don't seem to bother us too much. She saw this that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband in case she wanted. He was there too. <clears throat> and he ate. And it wasn't like he was going like, Eve, please don't do that. I think Adam was a bit of a wimp, to be honest with you, in this, in this scenario. Just saying, that's why God says you ought to take care of stuff. He told Adam, subdue, right? Take authority, man. If something comes in your yard, you better deal with that, right? A little snake, little, what is a little, it's not even poison. I have to ask my friend Jason, what snake's poisonous, which one isn't? And I used to just kill them all when they come up, you know. I hate snakes. Oh, I hate them, right? And so one day this one come up to my house. My kids are saying, Daddy, there's a snake, there's a snake. And I saw it poke his little head up in the grass. I can't look around at me like that, you know. And I was like, it was close to one of my kids. Before I knew it, I had something. I'm chasing that thing. I'm like the patriot, you know. Mel gives them. I'm coming after, right? And this thing just flies, man. takes off into the, I can't, you know, he's gone. Found out it wasn't even a poisonous snake. All that energy for nothing, right? But that's how we're supposed to be in our garden. You're supposed to be proactive. Adam said, I mean, you know, Eve, I guess if you want to look at it, I guess we can go look at the fruit. I guess it's okay. No, no, Adam, you should have said, Eve, the Lord said that. No, I don't even want to get near that. I don't even want to get near it. Why would I even get close to that? I don't want to near that. Why would I? Why do I want to get too close to somebody else's spouse? You understand what I'm saying? Like, why? I don't think I want to take a chance on that. So I think I'm going to keep some distance. Why do I want to get too close to somebody else's things? I don't know. I don't need. I don't. I don't need that pressure. That weight. See, subdue the garden. But they saw this as desirable to make them wise. Let me ask you a question: What was wrong with the wisdom that they had? But they heard the enemy say, oh, the reason God doesn't want you to eat this fruit is why? Because you'll be like God. That right there is what made them want to take the fruit. Because, well, that's not fair. 
God's holding back on us. He's got something he didn't give us, and that's not right. So we want to be like God, and that's why they ate. But let me ask you a question. What's wrong with what you have? Are you trying to get somebody else's fruit from their tree? Does it bother you so much that you want to get one, that you get one just like theirs because they got one? What does it matter? So Satan deceived them and got them to get something that didn't belong to them, and it was covetousness. So let me give you the definition of covetousness. To covet something means to desire greatly. This is the definition of covetousness. It causes us to look at what we don't have rather than be grateful for what we do have. Now, I'm going to take just about two or three minutes right here just to break down a couple of things. If you've ever been overseas at all, and you pick the country you want to go to, except for maybe Dubai, I don't know. Don't pick a super, you know, rich area in the world. But I'll tell you this much is true. Just about most other countries, all it takes is one visit and you'll realize what you have. And you'll be thankful for what you do have. When we went over, when I went with Pastor Steve over to Sudan, or South Sudan rather, you know, he told me as we flew over, he said, now listen, I got to tell you, he's very limited. Let me just say this. I love him, but he's a man of few words, you know. He's, he's very limited on his, his communication with you, which is fine. But he's a joy. But he looks at me and says, this is one of the few stuff. He's like, now just so you know, um, the flight and the food will get worse as we get closer. Okay, now you understand, we're on like this super nice airline. Um, I forget the name of it now. Like one of those super, it's better than Delta, you know. They're serving you great food, all the Coca-Cola's you want. Whatever you want, it's just you ask them for it, Right. Movies on the plane, do you have enough, sir? They're constantly asking you, do you have anything? Even at 4.30 in the morning, they're asking you, do you want anything? Do you want anything? They're just super nice. And everything's great, but I did notice the next flight, once we got over to the Middle East, the next flight was a little smaller. Well, still nice, though. They served you food and everything was great. No movies on this flight, but we get to the next one. And, you know, you get on a lot of airplanes going over there. But as we went further, I did notice the airplanes get smaller, and the food did get worse. And, you know, by the time we got to the last airplane, um, this was the one I looked at him and said, hey, are you you all right with this plane? You feel okay about this? Because on this plane, it was all in Russian, and we're in South Sudan. Just think about it. And stuff's held up with tape, and there's like, I got pictures I'll show you one day. But he goes, yeah, sure. That's it? Okay. You know, we're flying out. I feel like I'm in that plane off Indiana Jones, the one where they fill out in the boat. That's what it looked like. And I kept looking around going, is there a boat in here anywhere, a little inflatable raft, or is there anything just in case, right? And when we land, though, that's when I realized that, you know what? I don't care where you live in the city, and I don't care what you have. I will promise you this. I give you my word on this. You are a wealthy person. You would be a millionaire in their eyes. You can't even imagine the poverty. When I say poverty, it doesn't even register because the poverty level there in our country doesn't even equate. People talk about lower income, higher income. It doesn't matter. Over there, 
you are blessed if you have what's called a tukul. It's just a simple little, it's smaller than this platform here. You might take up maybe a quarter of this space. It, it's smaller than the restrooms. And it's, it's a little round thing with some sticks and some mud, and, and you're blessed if you have a covering. But your kids wear the same clothing every day. I mean, I'd see, we were there for, you know, I can't remember how many days now. They all lose trade. They all start running together. But these little kids would come up to you and you play with them every day. It's just pretty obvious after you're there for a couple of days, you think, well, my goodness, they're going to change their clothes. You know, I mean, my kids change their clothes four times a day. We get tired of them changing their clothes. Would you stop changing clothes? I mean, Haley's washing stuff all the time. The washer, you know, the washer needs a Sabbath at our house. You know what I'm saying? It's like, are you kidding me? How many clothes? You know, they change them all the time. Some of these, you know, next time... I'm going to send kids clothes. Because, like, I thought, and this one little kid, he, his, his shirt had so many holes in it. And that's what he wore. And I thought, well, he don't even need a shirt. He just, it's just a piece of, it had been scrubbed so many times, it, it, you could see straight through it. It was thinner than, like, cheesecloth. It was so thin. They have nothing. You are a wealthy individual here. And I'm not saying to put you down. God blessed you. You're in a beautiful country. You have been blessed by God to be born here, to live here. And I'm not saying feel guilty about it. I just want you to understand, no matter what your neighbor has beside you, there's other neighbors that you have across the world that they would do anything to have what you have. They would love to be in your shoes. But it covetous causes us to look at what we don't have rather than be grateful for what we do have. Have you stopped long enough to thank God for what you do have? To thank God for what you do have. And I mean, I'm not trying to, I'll pick you back up in a minute. just want you to think about this for a moment, okay? But it makes you think differently. It just does. I think about all the stuff that we have. You know, we're trying to figure out how to, you know, move and all this kind of stuff. And I'm looking around going like, oh my goodness. Where are we going to put this stuff everywhere? Like, you know, if you've not looked in your closet in a while, that one closet in your house where you put stuff, and don't look at me like you don't have one either, you little organized Christians. you got one too. Everybody knows it. Don't act like you don't. Everybody's got a closet where it's just to throw the thing in there and just shut the door and we'll get to it later. Open that thing up. You might even have a kid lost in there from like five years ago. Pull all that stuff out and see what all, you might have some gems in there, some, some, you could probably put that stuff on eBay, you don't know. You got so much stuff, I got so much stuff. Don't compare with what your neighbor has. Be thankful for what you do have, because you are so blessed. And here's why covetousness is such a, a, it made it in the top ten, you know, it's in there with adultery. We like to put down some of these big things and say, well, there's adultery. Listen, covetousness is in there. It's in there just like, you know, don't be a, bear a false witness against your neighbor. It's in there. You know what it really does? This is what's so deceitful about it. It actually causes us to despise God. Because here's why. We think, well, God, why did you bless them and won't bless me? And before long, before you even realize it, you've actually despised God. So, the only cure that I see in Scripture, the only cure that I think all of us would know what it would be this morning is to understand that if you're going to beat covetousness, we've got to learn to be content. That does not mean settle. God didn't ask you to be a settler. He asked you to be content. 
Okay, so I'm going to read you. These are New Testament scriptures. I'm going to read these to you. Just read them. You can write them down. I'll put them on the screen for you. But then we're going to close up with the idea of what does it mean to be content, okay? So 1 Corinthians 5.11, and I want to make this very clear. He is writing this to Christians. These are, these are letters to Christians, not to, it wouldn't go to the News Tribune, Rome News Tribune. They said, hey, can you just print this for the city? Let everybody read this. No, this was to the church, all right? 1 Corinthians 5.11 says, but actually, I wrote to you this not to associate with any, watch this, so-called brother. So you got to be careful everybody in town that says they're a Christian. Just because they say they are does not mean they are. They so-called Christians. Because if he is an immoral person <clears throat> or covetous or an idolater or reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not to even eat with them at Las Palmas. Now, see, if you're a real Christian, that'll get your attention. But if you make excuses for it and say, well, you know, I mean, they're cheating on a wife, but they love Jesus. Hey, listen, bull honky. That's ridiculous. I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, something ought to rise up on the inside of you that says there's something wrong here. It don't mean you're going to judge them. It just means, hey, hold on a minute. I can't, I can't go along with that, man. That's wrong. You got to deal with that, right? So here's another one, Ephesians 5.3. He says, but fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness. Look at where covetousness makes its location known. It's not this, oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Let it not even be named among you as fitting for the saints. Here's Colossians 3, 5. Just reading three of them to you. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity. Passion would be evil passion or lust. And here's the... Evil desire is the word covetousness here. And greed, which amounts to idolatry. It made it not only in the top ten, it made it in a lot of the epistles in the middle of some pretty rough stuff that we'd say, oh, those are bad things. Covetousness, I think we look at it as Christians as like, oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. If it, if it bothers you today when you leave the parking lot and your buddy or your friend has a nicer car than you, you need to check your heart. I'm, I'm not being, I'm just telling you, check your heart. If she's wearing a nicer shirt than you or nicer clothes than you and she's got nicer shoes than you, check your heart if it bugs you. You know? If, look, if their kids are more behaved than yours, you feel like they come, there's little ducklings walking behind them. Like, oh, how do they do? It's not right. I mean, I'm doing good by my kids. Hey, check your heart. You know, my friend Jason and I, you know, see what happens is when you have more kids, you realize some things. You know what I'm saying? If you just got one or two, it's not enough. You need, you, you need more than two. You really do to really understand and appreciate this. But it's funny how you can raise them all the same, and they're different. They are different. No matter what you, man, I did this. I, no, the, it might not be you. I told Haley the other day, I was like, you know what? We're pretty good parents. I figured it out. <laughs> it's them. <laughs> That's the thing. Hey, y'all ought to liberate you right there, mom and dad. Like, you know, maybe it's not me. I mean, I'm, after you get twitching a little bit, I, I'm, I'm okay, a parent. It's you, you know, you, you rascal. So, <clears throat> as we wrap up today, think about this word contentment. We're going to be content with what we have, okay? We're going to be content with what we have. Here's the word for contentment. Listen to what it means. Contentment is a state of being happy or satisfied. Come on, give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. 
I'm, I'm satisfied. This is why the Sabbath is also so important because it gives you a break to stop and just breathe. Because our culture says, go, 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 work, work, go and get and get and get. So you can have all this stuff, 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 and you can go not do anything with it. Because i got to work so hard to get it, but now I can't do anything with it. But God says, breathe. Understand contentment is a good thing. It's, are you happy? Are you satisfied? I didn't say settle. I didn't say you got to settle and be like, well, just, you know, it used to be people say, well, I just want to, you know, have a cabin up in heaven somewhere. God will just give me. Oh, shut up. That's, that's dumb. That's just a poverty spirit that's trying to be glorified. That is not God. God didn't say, I put you a cabin up in heaven. He said, I made you a mansion, man. And in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it was not true, would I not told you I go to prepare a place for you? That's what Jesus said. Don't have a poverty mentality, but don't have so over ambition that I judge other people for what they have because I don't have it. Be happy. Be content. Emoticon. Smiley face. If you need teeth, put teeth in it. Super happy, cry with it. Text people with that. It might be a better day for you. But in our culture, this is what we have. It's the word contention. And this is what contention means. It means to be in the state of competition, to not be happy, and to not be satisfied. It's where you are right now on your football team, probably. To be honest with you, right? I mean, I, I, I wore a Falcons jersey and we went out of town. And you know what? I thought, I don't even want to hear it. Just... When we get a Dallas, took it off. Them Cowboys, man, you know what I'm saying? They just drive you nuts. But so, it's the truth. But people ask you, where are you from? You say, well, you don't say Rome. You don't even say Georgia now. You say Atlanta because everybody in the world knows where that is. They don't even know where Georgia is. They know where Atlanta is. Oh, yeah. Hey, what's going on with the Falcons? Like, Bro, I don't know. We stroked a bunch of checks to a bunch of people and made, paid them really good. Now they don't play. I don't know what's wrong with them. I can't tell you. It frustrates you, right? Because why? Because we're in competition. That's a competition. I want my team to win. I don't want my team to lose. You don't want your team to lose either. But when you bring that over into the world of personal friendships, I am not in competition with Gary. I am not in competition with Stephen. I'm not in competition with any other friend in here. My brother Stephen in the back's got a rail car. It's awesome. I've been to races and watched and heard these things. They're so cool. I mean, they'll blow your eardrums. They're so loud. It's awesome. He's got one. I don't. But you know what? I'm glad for him. I'm excited for him. He runs that thing wide open. Wow. Probably screaming down the track. It's cool. But I'm happy for him. I don't have one. That's okay. I don't need one. What would I do with it? Put my kids in the back. I don't know. You know, hang on, boys. No. I'm not in competition with him. I'm happy for him. I'm in competition with my teams, yes, but not with each other. Watch this, and as I close out with these thoughts, competition, I'm not content, I'm in competition with each other, and it brings about this comparison with you to see if I'm better than you or to see if I'm not as good as you. Here's what it does. Think about this in our personal life. This is what it does. If I compare against what you have versus what I have, it either brings an inferiority complex or a superiority complex. If I got something nicer than you, I feel better about me. Why can't I just feel better about me? Because I got Jesus. 
Here's what's dangerous about it, though, because if I got less than you, I feel less than you. Now I'm insecure. So I'll go and try and get something to be like you just so I can be like you and put myself in a bad situation. Here's the problem. The Apostle Paul talks about this. When we compare ourselves with ourselves, we are found wanting because you're not the mark. I'm not the mark. The Lord Jesus is the mark. But if I compare with you, I feel better about myself or I feel worse about myself. But listen, when I compare myself with Jesus, I never feel bad. I always feel peace. Because Jesus has given me all things richly to enjoy. Next thing it does, look, it also can produce an anger towards God. I'm wrapping up with these last thoughts. I just want to leave these questions in our mind, or these thoughts. (coughs) Make me angry against God. Because why did he bless you and not bless me? So I'm really angry with God. I'm not angry with you necessarily, but I'm angry with God. But then it can produce anger and resentment towards people. You know, like I said, if they have a nicer car, isn't it funny how we'd never admit this. We'd never say this because we're Christians and we're supposed to be holy and we got angels' wings. But if we were honest with one another, somebody has a nicer car than you, at work and everything is just, you know, you're like, I can't believe, you know, they got that car, whatever. They come in the next week and they accidentally backed over like another car, run into it, whatever. And they got a big dent on the side. And, it, you know, if we're real honest, you probably have said, oh, man, I hate that for you. But <laughs> walk away kind of inside feeling like, I can't believe that. So why? We feel anger. We feel can't believe they got that, but then we feel better if something didn't go their way. Can I just tell all of us this morning something? If that is going on in our hearts, it's not cool. We got to get that out, man. God wants to bless you, but we got to get that out. So Paul said this, and I close out with this first scripture, Philippians 4.11. He says, not that I speak from want. Paul the apostle was not some poor guy. He had an enterprise. He built a bunch of tents. You know what I'm saying? It paid for all of his mission trips. God was very, he was very well off in seasons. But he says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. For I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. So Paul said, I know how to be in both. I've been poor and I've been rich, right? Most people say rich is better, <laughs> just saying. But nonetheless, whatever state you're in, and by the way, if you don't know you're rich, I just gave you an illustration all I go, you're rich. Here, you're rich. So he says, I know how to do both. And he says, and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering needs. So what is the secret, Paul? The secret is this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is not an athletic verse. Now, there's nothing wrong putting on jerseys and putting on whatever you want to put on. It's a great, great verse for athletics. But that's not the context. The context was for covetousness. It's for covetousness. He's saying, maybe you're not where you want to be. That's okay. You can be content. Maybe you've gotten what you wanted to get in life. Guess what? You can be content. 
I've learned in whatever state I am, I'm going to be happy, emoticon, super smile with teeth and drips on the sides of my eyes. I'm going to be happy. No matter what I have, no matter what I go through, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can make it. I can beat this thing. I can make it, and I can be happy. And so you might say, well, Pastor Jody, well, what about, is it wrong to pray for stuff? No, not at all. Is it wrong to have stuff? No. God says this in Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. There's absolutely nothing wrong. You want a vacation home? Go for it. Just make sure you can afford all that stuff, but there's nothing wrong with it. And don't judge people who do, right? I mean, if they got five houses, what does it matter to you? I mean, Tom Brady's probably got 20. Who cares? Why don't you, matter? Why don't you tweet about him? It's not right. Why come Tom Brady's got this? Why come, you know, these guys got all Who cares, right? Go for it. If, if it's within your means to do it, but don't do it because somebody else has it. You be you. Be happy. Be joyful. Be at peace with what God has given you. But pray if you want, if there's something in your heart and it's a godly desire, go for it. But don't do it because you saw somebody else get it. If you do, then you're going to be chasing something for the wrong reasons. It's not going to be a God desire. It's going to be a selfish desire. And if you're here today and you say, well, man, Pastor Jody, I don't have a whole lot. I'm in a situation right now where I don't have a lot and I'd like, you know, I need God to intervene. Well, here's a beautiful scripture for you then. I'll ask our worship team to come up while I pray over this last moment of service here. But in Hebrews, the Bible says this. In Hebrews, in this chapter 13, verse 5, why don't you listen to this? We say this all the time, don't we? we? We'll pray this very quickly for people. We'll say things like, well, listen, the Lord is with you. Everywhere I go, God is with me. We say things and we kind of summarize it in different ways. But we'll say, well, the Lord is with me. He's always with me. Everywhere I go, the Lord is with me. The context of that scripture, though, is in the area of financial need. It's interesting when you look at the context sometimes of what God is actually trying to say. But Hebrews 13, 5, listen to what he says. He says, let your conduct or let your behavior or let your attitude, let how you interact with everybody be without covetousness. Again, it goes back to relationship. Let it be without covetousness. Be content with what things you have. Isn't that amazing? See, we use scripture so many times to pray, and there's nothing wrong with that. But these are intended many times to bless you in the area of the need, in the area of covetousness and things. God is saying, be content with what you have. For he himself has said, watch this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be content with what you have. Do not look at God and say, God, why are you not? No, no, no. It should be, God, I know you are. I don't see it right now. I can't feel it right now. But God, I know you're coming through for me. Don't look at my neighbor and say, well, what they have, why why you do it for them, not do it for See, that's what Satan wants to do is get your attention on other people. God's saying, look up at me. Man, I'm the one that can do something about it. Don't judge other people for what they have and don't have. God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. God wants to bless you too. But for us, let's get rid of all covetousness this morning. Let's say to God this morning, let it be our prayer. If that's you this morning, let it be a moment where we just say, God, let's just, let's just do this right now. Let me pray for you. Just close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. Make this a personal prayer.
personal prayer this morning. And if you're here and you're sitting there fighting with me on this in your heart and you're saying, well, I don't do that. If you just said that and it had that kind of in your heart, you probably do. And I won't, I'll admit, I've done it too. I'm a pastor. I'm admitting to you, hey, you know, it's, it's called flesh. Well, let's take a moment right now. Just close your eyes and bow your heads. And we're going to pray. Father, I just come to you in the name of Jesus right now, and I ask you to help each one of us, Lord. God, we all just take a moment, we just repent this morning for having covetousness in our homes, in our hearts, in or around us. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we we give that to you this morning and say, Father, we ask you to heal our hearts from from covetousness. Maybe it's because something we saw growing up, maybe it was something we inherited looking at while we were working on the job. We thought, well, if we do this, we can be that. Or maybe it's just the American dream that's become more of an American idol that says you can have whatever you want. But God, whatever it is, I pray today, God, we just release covetousness to you right now. And we ask you, dear Jesus, to help us understand that you are more than enough. God, we can be content in whatever state we're in right now because of you, Jesus. God, we refuse to look at other people and what they have. God, we look to you this morning. We ask you, dear Jesus, to help us Understand how to live in contentment. Not settling, but be content right now with what we have. Knowing that, God, you desire something else for us or something better for us. Or maybe there's something we have a dream for. God, but there's nothing wrong with being content right now while you're working in the midst of that. So, God, I pray for that. Pray for each one of us right now in that area. And I pray if there's anybody here today, they don't know you. I pray today that they make you their Lord and their Savior. While your eyes are closed, no one's looking around. We're going to pray this prayer. Maybe you're here today and you say, hey, Pastor Jody, I need to pray and receive Jesus as my Savior. We're going to do that right now. With your eyes closed and just make this prayer your commitment, the whole church is going to pray with you. You won't be by yourself. Just pray this with me right now with the whole church. Say, dear Jesus, I come before you and I give you my life. I give you my heart. I ask you, Jesus, to be my Lord and to be my Savior. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.